This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, No Room at the End, and it comes from Luke 2. If you'd like to hear a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Also, you can listen to our podcast just about on anything, whether it's Amazon or iTunes or Google. Go out there and search for WMER, Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Now, also remember that Christian radio is not free. If you enjoy our radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the radio Bible class on the air for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you're helping reach people in our listening area and on the Internet. You can make a donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, we just wrapped up Christmas. This is the day after Christmas, but this is our Christmas message that we are sending out to you. And if you looked around during Christmas, you should have saw that everything was decorated. You heard the Christmas music. It's been playing on WMER since after Thanksgiving. The shopping malls have been full. The stores have been full. Everyone has been busy. But in the busyness of preparing for Christmas, it's possible that we missed out on the idea of what Christmas was all about. Everyone gets busy. But even in our busyness, we need to remember that God sent Jesus to make a way for us to get back to him, to overcome the separation from God through our sin. Jesus' finished work on the cross was the bridge to get us back to God. And so he sent his son who stepped out of heaven and took on the form of a human. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite books in the Bible, it talks about God's rich mercy and how his saving grace saved us as the walking dead. Before Christ, we were dead. We all were dead. How do I know we were all dead? Because Romans 3.23 tells us, For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Not some, not most, but all have sinned. We were all dead. But the good news is John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now that whosoever believes in him, that whosoever, if you look at that word, it means anyone. It means everyone that believes in him will be saved and will not perish. will have everlasting life. Well, I've told you several times that there are different ways that God inspires me for these lessons. One of them is through TV shows. And one of my favorite Christmas TV shows is watching a Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, the messing is really fitting for today's lesson. If you remember about this TV show, Charlie Brown has become depressed and he confides in Linus that all the busyness of Christmas and how we've commercialized that. If you remember from the show, Charlie Brown goes to see Lucy and during that therapy session, she recommends that he direct the school Christmas play. 
And on his way to the school auditorium, what does he find? He finds his trusted friend Snoopy decorating his doghouse for the neighborhood lights and display contest. And then he sees his sister Sally, and she wants him to write a letter to Santa Claus. And she's got this very long and specific list. But at the very end, she says, you know what? I'll just take money instead. Even when he gets to the rehearsal, no one listens to him. They want to modernize that school Christmas play with dancing and some new music. And Charlie Brown then decides, you know what we need? We need a Christmas tree for the play. Lucy tells him, that's a great idea. Charlie Brown, you and Linus go get it. And she takes over. Well, Charlie Brown and Linus go to the Christmas tree lot looking for the big shiny aluminum tree that she said that they needed to get. But Charlie Brown focuses on this one real tree on the lot, a tiny sapling. And Linus tries to talk Charlie Brown out of it. But Charlie Brown is convinced that this is the right tree. It's perfect. And everyone will see it's perfect after it's decorated. And when he returns with the tree, everyone makes fun of him. And Charlie Brown asks Lally, does anybody really know what Christmas is all about? And Linus stands up and quotes Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. And then he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown picks up the little tree and he leaves intending to take the tree home and decorate it. He'll show them it's perfect for their play. And on his way, he passes Snoopy's doghouse where he finds out that Snoopy won first place. He's got a first place blue ribbon right on his doghouse. Charlie Brown takes the ornament off Snoopy's house and he puts it on the little tree and the tree flops over and he declares, I've killed it, and he runs off. Well, the others come behind him and Linus wraps his blanket around the tree. They decorate it and the tree is perfect. See, a lot of us are like Charlie Brown during Christmas. Everywhere we look, we see commercialism. Christmas trees are decorated. Christmas music is playing. Parking lots are full with people trying to find that perfect present. There are parties every night, and we have to prepare for the Christmas meal. We're so busy that sometimes we miss the point of Christmas. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't know the point. See, even Linus in the show that I just told you about was able to quote Luke too, yet the whole peanut gang was so distracted from the real reason of the season. You may truly understand that Christ is the reason for Christmas, but the devil will gladly help you get so busy that you get distracted and you're unable to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. On that first Christmas over 2,000 years ago, we find that many miss Christmas as well as some today. Some people miss Christmas because they had a callous heart. If you look in chapter 2 in the book of Luke, you'll find that there was King Herod. But now King Herod missed Christmas because he had a callous heart. He wasn't busy. He had a callous heart, a hardened heart. He was a power-hungry, evil, vicious man. And when he heard that some boy was born that was going to be king of the Jews, his heart was filled with anger and jealousy. He was so disturbed because he thought there was a threat to his throne that he declared that every baby boy would be killed. Some people miss Christmas because they have a callous heart. They're like Herod. They're not interested in Jesus coming into their life. It would disturb their lifestyle. It would interfere with their power and their control. It would take away from their life and they would have to give their life to him. They are like Herod. 
Now, there are other people that miss Christmas because they have a closed heart. Think about the scribes who were in Jerusalem when the wise men came to them. When they inquired about where Jesus was going to be born, the scribes knew exactly where he was going to be born. They knew the scriptures, and they knew that in Micah 5, 2, it predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem. They knew Daniel told them the timeline of when the Messiah was to be born. See, they knew the location. It was Bethlehem, just five miles below Jerusalem. Yet there was no record of them making a journey just five miles to check it out. They didn't care to go check out that Jesus was indeed born as the Messiah. See, many know about Christ intellectually in their head, but their heart is closed to him. They're just like the scribes. As I've said, some people miss Christmas because of a callous heart. Some miss Christmas because of a closed heart. And then there's another group. Some people miss Christmas because of a crowded heart. I would say this is where the majority of us find ourselves. Even us Christians, we're guilty too. We're so busy that we crowd Christ right out of our life. Look at Luke 2.7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Now, I've always wondered about that statement. No place to lay him because there was no room in the inn. Now, maybe that's true. Maybe the senses being taken and so many people having to travel that perhaps there really wasn't any room left in that inn that night. But there was at least one room available. The innkeeper could have gave up his room. Think about it. You have a woman nine months pregnant, probably already in labor. He could have given her his room. So there was room. He just didn't want to be put out. He didn't want to make room for Jesus. He had a crowded heart. You know, I heard a true story. Back in 1775, there was this prestigious hotel that refused lodging for a stranger that was dressed, you know, kind of shady. He had on old clothes that looked worn. They were really dirty. He had a beard. He wasn't shaven. And the hotel manager told him, I'm sorry, but I don't want to lower my hotel standards by allowing you to come and stay. I'm going to have to decline. You're going to have to find some other place besides here to stay. The manager found out later that that man who inquired about a room was none other than President Thomas Jefferson, and he was mortified. He couldn't believe it. He sent a note immediately, and he apologized. He stated that he wanted him to come back to the hotel, and he'd give him the best room in the hotel, and it would be free. It would be on him. But Thomas Jefferson responded back, I've already found another room. I value your intentions highly. But if you have no place for a dirty American farmer, then you have no place for the president of the United States. Now back to what I was saying. Now think about Mary and Joseph's journey. They've been traveling for at least three days, maybe longer by foot and by donkey. She's nine months pregnant. And she's about to give birth. They finally got into Bethlehem and Mary is giving birth to her first child. Now you can probably imagine her nervousness. She didn't have her family with her only Joseph. She had no midwife. She had no doctor that were there to help her with the birth. And then think about Joseph. How did he feel having to deliver this baby? Probably wishing that he could have done more. How he probably wished he could have gotten her a better place to have this baby. And they're going to have to give birth to this child in a place that's meant for animals. See, the innkeeper had a great opportunity to make room for Jesus, but he didn't. 
Instead of giving up his room and being put out, this just illustrates how Jesus was rejected from the very beginning, even at his own birth. Now, the innkeeper is just like a lot of Christians at Christmas time today. We have room for the pleasures and the possessions and the parties, but we don't have room for Jesus. The innkeeper may not have known who Jesus was or what he came to do, but we know. We know who Jesus is and what he came to do, yet we allow the world to fill our hearts and to crowd Jesus out of Christmas. We tell him, no room in our heart right now. No room in our busy schedule. I heard a story about a man who went to a hotel and asked for a room. Sir, I'm sorry, but we have no vacancies, is what the manager said. There's just no rooms available. So the man said, well, let me ask you this question. If the President of the United States were to suddenly show up at this hotel and ask for one of your fine rooms to stay in, don't you think you'd find a room for him to stay in? The manager said, well, yes. If the president came, we'd bend over backwards to find him a room and accommodate him. Then the man responded, well, sir, the president isn't coming tonight, so I'll take his room. See, my point is this. There is always room if we want to make room. Yet there was no room at the inn because the innkeeper didn't want to be put out. He didn't want to make room for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this very story sparks the famous Christmas carol, Away in a Manger. It says, Away in a manger, no crib for bed, for the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. It's based on Luke chapter 2. So why was there no room in the inn to begin with? Well, let's look back at Luke 2, verses 1 through 3. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, at this point in history, the Roman Empire has reached its peak. It has stretched over most of the known world at that time, and it is a one-world empire. There is nothing better or bigger than Rome and the Roman Empire. They were starting to run out of money, though. The army had grown to a point where it was a burden on the Roman government. And Caesar's greedy. He doesn't want to give up his lifestyle. He doesn't want it to change. So the census was a way that they could find out how many people were in the Roman Empire so that they could increase the taxes so they could pay the government so that they could pay the army and that Caesar wouldn't have to give up his lifestyle. Now, scholars tell us that this was the first census really that was ever taken in history. And it was done by the Roman Empire. Nothing about this Christmas story, though, happened by accident. Sometimes we think that, but that's not what happened. God had a plan. He engineered the whole thing. It appears that the driving force of the census was the greed of Caesar, but in fact, it was God. He engineered the fact that the census was to be taken while Mary was nine months pregnant and about to give birth. God knew Joseph would have to travel to register, so the timeline was perfectly aligned. Let me show you that. Look at verse 4 and 5. And Joseph also went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Joseph was to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem because the census required that the man go back to the town where he was born. 
Now, his birth city, or the county seat is what we call it today, was Bethlehem for Joseph. It was here that King David was born too, and he tended sheep here. So Joseph, being of the house and lineage of David, had to go to Bethlehem to register since that was the place where his family records were kept. When we had a prophecy that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. So it may look like Caesar's greed caused this to happen, but he was just a pawn in the hand and the sovereignty of Almighty God. What I hope you're seeing and what you're reading was not an accident. It was not an incident. It was not a coincidence. It was a fundamental thing that was part of God's plan. He knows what is happening. Nothing catches God by surprise. He orchestrates the whole thing. Caesar was merely a pawn in the hand of God. Had Caesar made the decision on his own for the census to be taken a month earlier or a month later, Joseph and Mary would not have been in Bethlehem when their baby was born. An entire nation had their lives disrupted just so Joseph and Mary might be in Bethlehem at the moment that Christ was born, fulfilling the prophecy of Micah 5 too. Now, did you know that God had a plan for your life? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, you might be like Charlie Brown and you might be depressed going through this Christmas season. But I have good news for you. God loves you. He has a plan for you. And you shouldn't be depressed because he wants something that is a good future and a good hope. I don't know about you, but... I can go through life knowing that Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, things work together for the good, for those who are called according to His purpose. See, God isn't surprised, but He can take whatever's going on, whatever you're going through, and make it work for the good. God has a plan for you and me, and it is for the good when we walk according to His purpose. Now, as we look at this no room or the crowding out of Jesus in our heart, And really, there's four things I want to share with you. And the first one is, there is no room for Jesus in our culture. I was recently reading about the United States wanted to make a Christmas stamp. Now, this goes back several years. But the post office designed a Christmas stamp that had a home with a reef in the window, and below the reef was a candle. But when it was reviewed, it came back that we can't make this stamp because the reef that is in the window brings out the cross that is formed by the wood holding the window panes in place. They wouldn't make the stamp because it endorsed Christianity is what they said. This very stamp was going to be about Christmas, which used to be about Christ. Now the government can't produce the stamp because it has a cross on it. 1 John 4, 5 says... They are of the world. That is why they speak from the world's perspective. And the world listens to them. People speak the language of the world, and we are not of this world, and will be hated for. We have seen time and time again, and we now have a canceled culture that if you speak, if you speak truth, if you speak what the Bible says, you are called having hate speech. And this canceled culture will cancel you out or try to cancel you out. This cancel culture will tell you that you're intolerant. But the most intolerant people are the very people who scream about how believers of Christians are intolerant with our moral stand of biblical truth. God's word, and because we won't disagree with it, we challenge their view, therefore we're intolerant. 
see what they want us to admit is that what was sin in the past is no longer sin because our society has changed and our, we have a more enlightened environment. But let me tell you, what was a sin a hundred years ago will still be a sin a thousand years from now. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody is doing it. And right is right, even if nobody is doing it. The Bible is the one fact that God never changes. It tells us that. His word never changes. It's living. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Another place that Christ is being crowded out is in our schools. You know, there was a school back in Dodgeville, Wisconsin in 2005 that wanted to have a winter program. The school board told them it can't be called a Christmas program. It must be called a winter program. And you can't mention Jesus in the program. So they rewrote the lyrics to Silent Night. And this is what it said. It was called Cold in the Night. The lyrics read, cold in the night, no one in sight, winter winds whirl and bite. How I wish I were happy and warm, safe with my family, out of the storm. Now that isn't a cheerful change to this lyric. This all comes because a letter was sent from a legal group to the school board demanding a change in the Christmas program. The name had to be changed. No more Jesus reference. The decorations needed to include the beliefs of Santa Claus, Kwanzaa, menorahs. Everything that the world wanted had to be added to it. Nothing could be left out. I'll give you another example. Just a couple of years ago, a band right here in Jackson, Mississippi, in the Bible Belt, Jackson, Mississippi, was unable to march to Amazing Grace because it offended others and it talked about Jesus. A study was done by David Barton. His data shows America's moral decline rapidly accelerated soon as we had one event happen, and that was the U.S. Supreme Court removed prayer from our nation's school. On June 25, 1962, 39 million students were forbidden to do what they had and their predecessors had been doing since the founding of our nation, publicly praying at the beginning of each school day. Paul wrote in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on in the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. These are just a couple of examples of how our world wants to crowd Christ out of our schools. And then some of us crowd Christ out of our generosity. You see, this is a time of year where everyone gives gifts. We give gifts to our family, our bosses, our teachers. But how much have we really given to God? Are we really celebrating His birthday? Are we giving more to Him on His birthday than we give to these other people? The Bible teaches us that we give 10% tithe. Yet over half of professing Christians don't give anything. I want to be careful here. The Bible gives us a number of 10%. But God really looks at the heart. Not the amount of money you give. He looks at what you give and how you give it. That's why the Bible says we should be a cheerful giver. The Bible is clear that all believers, though, should give to the Lord. I don't want to turn you off, so I'll wrap it up with this on giving. Did you give more to your family and your boss and your teachers than you gave to Christ? And if so, you need to re-examine your heart. Don't crowd Christ out of your generosity. And then the fourth thing I want to talk about real quickly is that we can crowd Christ out of our schedule. We're just too busy this time of year. We're too busy for our daily quiet time. We're too busy to go to church. We're too busy to get involved in the church play. We're too busy to go visit church members. 
A survey was recently done. Six out of 10, 60% of Christians in the survey said that they were too busy for God. That's a striking number to me. But what I think this really shows is that most Christians don't have an intimate relationship with God. They don't have a personal relationship. What are they doing? They simply get up, they go to church, they put on their suit, they put on the happy face, they put on their church facade, and they go through the motion on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, there is no difference. They're too busy keeping up with the Joneses, and they don't have time for God. They crowd Christ out of their schedule. I think about in the Bible where Jesus is at Mary and Martha's house, and Martha's upset. What does Jesus say to her? Martha, you're worried about many things, but Mary has chosen what's better. And we need to say no to certain things in our life so that we can choose what's better. and We can give our time to Jesus. So don't crowd Jesus out of your life. You might ask, well, what are some of the signs of crowding Jesus out of my life? Well, first of all, if you only talk about Jesus, but you aren't genuinely experiencing him, if he's distant and he's not a part of your everyday life, if he's not someone you talk to, if he's not someone that you walk with on a daily basis, then that's probably a sign that you've pushed him out of your life. Another sign might be our relationship with Jesus. Our spiritual life is more of a weekend thing, like I said. It's not an everyday thing. We put on our church clothes. We put on our church attitudes on Sunday. But on Sunday night, we take both of them off. Another sign might be our spiritual life is more form than substance. It's more of an outside than an inside thing. Remember in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God told Samuel, I look at the heart. You look at the outside. I look at the heart. God looks at the inside. The heart's not about rules we follow. That's important that we follow rules. But we don't want it to be a thing of religion or ritual. If we don't have a changed heart, then we're doing it out of duty and not out of grace and love. Another sign might be that we haven't experienced that authentic change in our life. If you look throughout the Bible, people that were touched by Jesus, they were changed. They were never the same again. It's impossible to genuinely experience Jesus and remain unchanged. And that's a clear sign that we're crowding Christ out of our life. And probably a big one is that we're more concerned about the role God's playing in our plans than playing the role that are in his plans. And this one is contradictory to the Bible. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your pathway straight. Are you living your life according to God's plan? Are you trusting in Him and allowing Him to lean and direct you? Are you trying to tell God how to do things for your life? Well, maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, Tim, I got your point. What changes can I do to help me find Jesus, help me make him a part of my life and make sure that I find Christ in Christmas and not crowd him out? You need to remember that you'll only find Jesus on the outside. You won't find him in the world, but he is apart from the world. In Matthew 16, 24 through 26, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, let him deny the world and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is saying that anyone that wants to follow me, anybody that's going to come with me, has to let me lead. You can't be in the driver's seat. Guess what? Don't run from suffering. You might as well embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. 
If you try to hang on to your life, if you try to hang on to the world, then you're going to lose your life. But if you're willing to give up your life, if you're willing to give up the world for my sake, then you'll be saved. And then he asked the question we all have to deal with. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? What was the cost of your soul? What was it worth for you to do that? If you're willing to give up your life and follow after Jesus, let him be Lord of your life. It's really simple. The Bible tells us that anyone that calls on him, they shall be saved. If you believe on his finished work on the cross, if you believe that he died and rose again, you ask him to be Lord of your life and you give up your life and let him be Lord, then you will be saved. Will you do that today? There's no greater Christmas gift. There's no greater gift this time of year than to let the Lord come in and give you a new life. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray for the one that you're knocking on their heart. Lord, you gave me this message to speak to someone. There's someone out there that has gotten so busy this year. Maybe they had a relationship with you, but because of the world and, and everything going on in their life, that they've just gotten away from their daily walk with you. They're part of that group that doesn't have the daily intimate relationship with you. Lord, I pray today that they would come back to you. Lord, that they would ask for forgiveness. Lord, they would lay down all the stuff they got going on and say, Lord, help me. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't understand Christmas at all. Maybe they've never accepted you. Lord, I pray today that they would pray that prayer. Lord, they would believe on the finished work that you did, how you nailed everyone their sins, that they're not too far gone, that Satan can tell them that. There's nothing that they've done that's taken them to the point where they can't be saved. Lord, that they'll just ask you to be Lord of their life, and they'll confess that before men, and they'll chase after you. Lord, we thank you for all this and all the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, I pray now for each and every one listening that as we go into this next year, Lord, that you would bless their lives and Lord, that they would have a deeper relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.